Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The New Statesman. I'm Katie Stallard, Senior Editor, China and Global Affairs in Washington, D.C. I'm Ida Volk, Europe Correspondent in Berlin. It's Thursday, the 19th of January. You're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Then, later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. After a devastating helicopter crash in Kyiv and a Russian missile strike on Dnipor over the weekend, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky appealed for more Western support. Today, the rescue operation in Dnipro has been completed. 79 people were wounded or injured by this Russian strike. The list of the dead includes 45 Ukrainians, including six children. Children and civilians are enemies for Russia. Obviously, this could only happen because Russia has turned into an enemy of all mankind. I thank each and every person in the world who helps us defend ourselves against terror. We discuss the current situation on the ground and the Kremlin's latest theory of victory. The US Secretary of State Antony Blinken is heading to China in early February for a meeting with the new Chinese Foreign Minister Qin Gang. Qin is a former ambassador to the US who used to be known for his combative wolf warrior approach to diplomacy. So what does his promotion signal about the outlook for Chinese foreign policy as both the US and China seek to stabilize their ties? To see, and we're not going to be able to work everything out. I'm not suggesting it's going to, this is kumbaya, you know, everybody is going to go away with everything in agreement. But I do not believe there's a need for concern of a, as one of you raised the legitimate question, the new Cold War. Thank you for joining us. Let's begin. Okay, first, some housekeeping. Regular listeners will have spotted that it is just Ido and me today. We are a small but mighty gang who will be trying to carry the World Review torch between us and harnessing the power, respectively, of 10 men and women. So please bear with us and send us your 
best thoughts. Also, please send us your questions. Again, regular listeners will be familiar with the section at the end of the podcast that we like to call You Ask Us. You too can take part in this. You can send us your questions via a special form on the website at the address newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. That's newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us or by tweeting at us. On to the show. So as we were preparing to record this, we got the news that a helicopter carrying senior Ukrainian officials had crashed in a suburb of Kiev. The early reports are that the helicopter hit a kindergarten, killing at least four children, along with government officials, including the interior minister, Denis Monastirsky, the highest ranking official to die in Ukraine since the start of the war. Ido, you have been following this. What else do we know at this admittedly very early stage? So there was a helicopter crash on the 18th of January in the region of Kiev, which has killed, at the time of recording, at least 15 people, according to Ukrainian authorities, including three high-ranking officials from the Ministry of Internal Affairs. As you said, the minister himself, Denis Monatirsky, and his first deputy and the state secretary of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. It seems like this helicopter that the officials were traveling in crashed between a residential building and a kindergarten, as you said, in the region of Kiev, in a town called Bravari. Ukrainian authorities have said that the helicopter was heading to the front line to quote one of the hotspots of our country where hostilities are ongoing. And at this stage, we don't know what the cause of the crash was. There are obviously several possible reasons. Anton Goroshenko, who's a former advisor to the Minister of the Interior, wrote that possible causes could include sabotage, obviously the prime suspects there would be the Russians, a technical malfunction or a violation of flight safety regulations. It does seem from reports that we have on the scene that there was very heavy fog and that perhaps the pilot may have gotten lost and, and crashed into possibly a high-rise residential building. But at the time of recording, we're only a matter of hours in, so it's, it's difficult to say conclusively. One thing you can say is that people will probably be asking why three relatively high-ranking members of the government were traveling on the same aircraft during wartime, obviously depriving the Ministry of Internal Affairs of three of its most senior officials. But you can also say that the fact that these are actually the first senior government figures to be killed or injured since Russia's invasion highlights really how successful Ukraine has been at ensuring the safety of its leaders. If you recall, in the early days of the war, there were kill squads reportedly hunting around Kiev, trying to get senior members of the government, including Zelensky, and obviously they completely failed. And possibly the first serving minister to, to die, died as a result of an accident and not of Russian warfare. So although although this is obviously a tragedy and will be felt deeply within the Ukrainian government, I think you can say that it does paradoxically highlight how successful Ukraine has been at protecting the security of and the safety of its, of its ministers and government officials. What are the other key developments to be aware of over the last week. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Russian missile strike that we saw over the weekend in Dnipro? Yeah. So over the weekend, there was a devastating Russian missile strike. I think an anti-ship missile slammed into an apartment building in Dnipro, which is in central Ukraine, killing at least 40 people and burying, burying many people in, in, in rubble. Obviously, a horrific attack, which highlights the growing and brutal toll of the invasion on the civilian population. You have also written an excellent piece about the de facto demotion of Surovikin, who had been the commander of the Russian offensive in Ukraine, to be replaced by Valery Gerasimov. 
what would you say we should understand about the significance or otherwise of that move? So Surabikin, who was the sort of overall commander responsible for Russia's war effort in Ukraine. So Sergei Surabikin was appointed in October by Russian President Vladimir Putin to, to lead Russia's war effort in Ukraine. And he was tasked with turning around the war effort, which I think it's fair to say was not going particularly well. It had stalled. Russia had just announced a massive mobilization drive, which government figures said aimed to recruit 300,000 reservists into the armed forces. But that was not turning around the fortunes of the Russian army. And since Surabikin was appointed, Russian forces lost control of Kherson, the only regional capital they captured since the beginning of the invasion, which they had declared Russian. And Russia had launched this campaign of strikes against civilian infrastructure, electricity, water, heating infrastructure, which was causing misery for millions of Ukrainians throughout the winter, but has not so far provided Russia with a military advantage. And so Surabikin has now been demoted, as you said. He's been replaced with Valery Gerasimov, who the Russian army described as, quote, General Armageddon when he was appointed, although actual evidence of this nickname existing before he was appointed to lead the Russian forces in Ukraine is almost non-existent. So it seems like they essentially made this up when he was appointed. But anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, has been has now been replaced with Valery Gerasimov, who's the chief of Russia's general staff and the deputy defense minister. I think what you can say about Gerasimov being appointed to replace Surovikin is that He's now the fourth person to lead the Russian invasion force in Ukraine. Clearly not one of these kind of reshuffles has drastically changed the fortunes of the Russian army. You know, Surovikin being appointed didn't stop Russia's losses because the reality is that Russia's army is obviously corrupt, overly bureaucratic, its troops under-equipped, reliant on irregular forces like those fighting for the Wagner Group. And just changing the top leadership doesn't alter any of that reality. Obviously, it's possible that Grasimov's appointment will change the fortunes of the Russian army, but he's not going to be able to magic up equipment, trained men, a competent bureaucracy, etc. So the material reality of the army is not really going to change as a result of this. We'll put both of Ido's pieces in the show notes. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both, from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's €1 Euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. Hi, I'm Anoush and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And let's turn now to China, where Xin Gang, the former ambassador to the US, has been appointed foreign minister ahead of an expected visit by the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, to Beijing early next month. Chin had a reputation during his earlier career for wolf warrior or combative diplomacy, but his elevation comes at a time when China seems to be tamping down this approach. Another notorious wolf warrior, Zhao Li Jian, was sidelined earlier this month. Katie, who is Qin Gang and what should we read into his promotion? Qin Gang was a longtime foreign ministry spokesperson. He was probably one of the first spokespeople to be really known as an individual, to really have a personality and a distinct character in that role between 2005 and 2014. And he was one of the first examples of what eventually came to be known as wolf warrior diplomacy. This is a term that comes from a very popular Chinese action movie franchise, the wolf warrior movies. Um, But it essentially became shorthand for this very muscular, assertive, unapologetic, some would say undiplomatic approach to diplomacy, of which Qin was one of the earliest purveyors. From there, he was promoted under Xi Jinping to become his head of protocol, which effectively meant that he accompanied him on all of his overseas visits. And he would be there when he was meeting with foreign leaders. I guess we don't know the nature of his relationship with Xi Jinping. We shouldn't pretend that we do. But he would certainly have had a lot of FaceTime with Xi Jinping during those years. And he 
continued his ascent within the foreign ministry to vice foreign minister and then U.S. ambassador in 2021, and then in December of this year was named foreign minister. So I think you can see this in a couple of ways. One is he's the quintessential wolf warrior. This shows that China is doubling down on this approach to diplomacy and that we're going to see more of that going forward. But I think Chin is actually a fairly good example of how wolf warriorism has changed and evolved over the years. So I think actually in his role here as ambassador, he took quite a moderate approach. US-China relations were also obviously very bad throughout his tenure. So he was quite limited, although the White House says this was not the case. He has complained that he was frozen out of meeting with a lot of senior officials, that he didn't have a great deal of, of high-level contact. So he did a lot of public diplomacy. He traveled around states. He posted a lot on Twitter, even though that's banned in China. He met Elon Musk. He drove tractors on farms in Iowa. He threw out the first pitch at baseball match or game. I'm never sure what is the right terminology. I think it's game. And he really seemed to be able to tamp down the sort of wolf warrior public facing approach. And speaking to people who who know him and who know his reputation, they have said he was still somebody who in private could absolutely be the wolf warrior who would read you 45 minutes worth of talking points on China's position on its core interests, but who was able to put on more of a charm offensive in public. So I think he's indicative of this evolving approach that we're seeing to Chinese foreign policy, which is that, yes, China is going to continue to represent its interests very firmly. It's absolutely not going to back down on anything that it considers a core interest, such as Taiwan. But I think there is a recognition within the Chinese system, certainly talking to experts to work this piece about Qin Gang, that some of the more extreme examples of wolf warriorism were disadvantaging China, were certainly not helping it to win friends abroad. So I think we're seeing a bit of a tactical recalibration towards less actively picking fights on the part of Chinese diplomats, but certainly not backing down from fights or from disagreements if they come China's way. As we said at the top there, Blinken is traveling to China early next month in February. Obviously, we know that relations between the US and China are very bad at the moment. Can we expect perhaps Blinken's visit and this new foreign minister to mend relations or are things so broken that relations will continue to be as bad as they have been over the past couple of years? This follows Joe Biden's meeting with Xi Jinping at the G20 summit in Bali in November of last year, which was their first face-to-face meeting as leaders and which really saw them both signal that they wanted to try to put a floor under the relationship. It was really in a a pretty rapidly accelerating downward spiral. There was open talk of a new Cold War between the US and China. There were real fears about confrontation over Taiwan. And I think both leaders are keen to stabilize that relationship and at least to stop that downward slide. You heard from US officials before that visit that this was about putting a floor under the relationship. So I think given that is the will of the top leaders, Ching Gang and Anthony Blinken will be trying to affect that. So I think you can expect to see you know, a relatively cordial visit. There's been talk previously about putting strategic guardrails on the relationship, making sure that there are working channels of communication between the two. 
I mean, you know, if, for instance, there is another crisis, such as there was when Nancy Pelosi, the US House Speaker, visited Taiwan last year, I think both sides are keen to make sure that they have high level channels of communication working and in place. But I don't think there is going to be much movement on the fundamentals. They still vigorously disagree on a great many issues. The US has imposed um, export controls on advanced technology to China in recent months. We've seen the Republicans take control of, of the US House here in the States. And I think that the one bipartisan issue that they are likely to agree on in the coming months in a new era of divided government is the need to be tough on China. So I think domestic popular support on both sides, and I guess domestic political will is not really around a revolution in this relationship. We're not moving back to the 1970s and a new era of engagement between the US and China. But I think this is an effort to halt the march towards what had been beginning to look like real confrontation and to get the relationship back onto the rails. But I wouldn't expect a massive breakthrough, I guess, it is a short way of the very long explanation that I've just given you. Thanks to all of you who sent in your questions. Listeners, you can send yours in at newstatesman.com slash you ask us if you have anything to ask us and that you would like us to answer. That's all the time we have for today. Join us on Monday for our interview episode with the former Lithuanian Prime Minister, Andreas Kobilius. If you're a regular World Review listener and haven't already subscribed, please subscribe give us a nice review and rate us five stars. Our producer has been May Robson. Thank you for listening and until next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So, can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.